So I want to speak to you this morning about love, love, <laughs> obedience, and remembrance. Sounds like a funeral service. Remembrance. No, love, obedience, and remembrance. And I'm looking at my watch. It's 10 o'clock, Jeffrey. Watch your time. Because, because I say lastly and then I lost and go on. So I, I want to, I want to use, a, use John's gospel and start in chapter 13 where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and he's humbling himself. And as I heard one guy say, imagine them all coming into the, into the place where Jesus was and, and there was this bowl and towels and the disciples said, well, who's the servant? Where, where's he? Who's, who's going to wash our feet? Because that's what happened in homes. And there was no servant. And Jesus became the servant. And he washed their feet. And you remember Peter, you know, typical Peter. Um, you know, Peter, Peter, Peter's pressing problem was that he either fell asleep or said too much. <laughs> In the garden, he fell asleep. He was sleeping when the angel visited him to go and visit Cornelius' house. He was sleeping in the boat. And then when things happened, he drew his sword and cut off Oak's ear because they were going to arrest Jesus. And he was always impetuous. That was Peter. Anyway, Jesus washes their feet. Then he, then he predicts his betrayal to them. He says, guys, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. And of course, Peter says, well, never happened to me. And Jesus says to him, Peter, before the sun rises tomorrow, you will deny me three times. Peter, never, never. And then Jesus is with the disciples and he's comforting them and he speaks to them. And Thomas, you know, Thomas, poor Thomas, I, Thomas gets a bad rap. He really does, you know, doubting Thomas. They all doubted. Thomas just didn't happen to be there. They all doubted. And Jesus had to convince them. And Thomas says things like, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how do we know the way? Jesus said, I'm going to go away. And Jesus made that famous statement, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the beautiful thing. The Bible says the Father draws us. Unless the Father draws us, we don't know Jesus. So when you pray for unsafe people, this has got nothing to do with what I'm going to preach about, but when you pray, ask, say, Father, won't you draw them? Won't you draw them to Jesus? Won't you draw them? Because when he draws them, he drew you, he drew me. I was fine, I had no issues, it was cool. Then one day he drew me, and then I couldn't resist. Amen? And then um, he speaks to them, and then he makes the promise. He says to them, guys, this is my paraphrase, I'm going away but I'm going to send one just like me. Now, you've got to try and understand when the Bible tells us 
these truths, we've got to try and put ourselves in those guys' situation. They walked with Jesus. They slept. They heard. They watched. They listened. They, 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 they were so close. And they, they thought, this is it. This is the Messiah. He's come. We are part of the team, brew. I'm on team with Jesus and John. And John, you know, writes about himself like Moses writes about himself. Moses says he was the most humble man that ever lived. Moses wrote that. How's that for a bit of pride? <laughs> Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. John writes about the one who Jesus loved. He doesn't mention himself. Remember when, when Peter and John ran to the tomb? And Peter outran him, and then he says, but the one that Jesus loved went in. <laughs> Speaking about himself. And John writes, um, and, and, and you know, I've been with, we've been with this man. We saw him raise the dead. We saw him just talk to the kids and pray for people. And there was a guy who couldn't talk, couldn't hear. Jesus just spoke to him. And we saw this guy being carried on a bier. And his mom was crying. And Jesus said, don't worry. No, he's not dead. And he spoke to the guy in the gar. Imagine that. Then he says, guys, listen, um, um, it's time for me to go. I'm leaving. No, 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 you can't go. No, no, I'm going to go. Because if I don't go, the one that the Father is going to send won't come. But the one that's coming, it's going to be better for you. Oh, Thomas, I doubt that. <laughs> because he's not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you. And there are three scriptures that I've given to this wonderful engaged couple sitting over there. <laughs> so I was just thinking of these verses, John 14, 26. It says, okay, I'll use the ESV. Just help me, Lord. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you bring remembrance to you all I have said to you. Go to the next one. 1526. But when the helper comes, whom I will... S but 1426 said, said, the Father will send him. Now Jesus is saying, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And to go to 1613 and 14. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And it says it much better, and I'm sorry if you read the ESV, but the, the NIV says it much better. He says, he will bring glory to me, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So you've got to understand that the disciples walked with Jesus 
like we said, very close, big friends. They saw him doing amazing stuff. They walked miles with him. They probably slept on the side of the road. They, they, they made meals together. They, they, were, they were intimate. They were close. And then he said, I'm going to leave. But the one that's coming after me. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is key to everything that we do. But I like the 1426 says, the Father will send. 1526 says, I will send. And 16 says, when he comes. So there you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in those scriptures. And we must be careful that we don't categorize the Father and the Son and the Spirit into little, they one, but they three, the mystery. They three, and yet they one. So in the Old Testament, we, see, we read of the Father. We read of God, God, and God did this, and the Lord did that. And we have moments when we see Jesus shown to us in the Old Testament. But essentially, under the Old Covenant, it was about the Father. And then, was, did Dimitri say it? 400 years of, and I said on Tuesday night, hey, Brian, your house. After Malachi, that's the crazy guy, Malachi. <laughs> when I first read the name Malachi, then they said, no, bro, it's Malachi. <laughs> so I thought he was a bit, so Malachi, man. <laughs> and then Nehemiah, that short guy. No, they said it's Nehemiah, not Nehi. He's, you know what the Old Testament, so in the Old Testament, sorry, I'm getting confused. <laughs> it was about the Father. Then 400 years of silence and there's desperation in the people of God to hear again from God. Malachi ends. No word. No 400 years. Now if if, if the church never heard from God for 400 years, you've got to ask this question. Would we manage? And the people of Israel had so many um, traditions and rituals and feasts and stuff. They maintained it in the hope that this Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament, he would come. He'll come. No, he'll come. We'll teach it to our children. He will come 400 years. And then after 400 years, you get John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes into our context today. He gets locked away. For sure. Repent, you brood of vipers. You whitewashed sepulchers. I mean, he really gave it to them. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Dressed in camels, hair clothing, and eating locusts and wild honey. He gets locked away. But he preaches a message. Are you the one to come? Are you the one? No, 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 it's not me. I'm preparing the way for the one. And then Jesus comes. And the disciples gather to him. Jesus is crucified. He leaves. And the disciples begin to enjoy the fulfillment of these scriptures that, how's it bud? You wanna... <laughs> it's, it's these Greenpoint people. <laughs> Sorry. <for laughs> it's 
And, and, and so they're walking with Jesus, and now Jesus has gone, but now they are doing the stuff Jesus did. They are praying for the sick. They are sharing the message. They are casting out demons. They are doing, because the Spirit is reminding them of all that Jesus did. When Luke writes the book of Acts, he said, uh, writing to you, to you, dear Theophilus, to, to, to tell you all that Jesus began to do and teach. So the Acts is a continuation of what Jesus did. So the Spirit reminds them. When was the first gospel written? A.D. 30? Come on, you fundies. Haman? Yeah, no, no. Okay, let's... So some years after Jesus' death, the disciples get moved by the Spirit to say, we need to write this stuff down. We need to write this down. Because you know what it's like. If we don't write things down, then we tend to forget. So, you know, when you get to my age and Sid and a few others, we have forgetteries. You think, oh, that guy, you know, that, that guy. Do you remember? No, I, don't. I just can't get his name. But maybe you young people also have that. It happens to you as well. I'm feeling better. So, so, so they begin to write down the gospel. They begin to write down all that Jesus began to do and teach. And they write it down because the Spirit of God moves them, never realizing that one day we'll have the book and we can read all that Jesus did and taught. We have the book. They had the person. The difference is that Jesus was in the flesh and he was the word. But this is the living word. This is the book that's alive. So we read the book and the Spirit of God takes from the book and enlightens us. And suddenly we begin to see things. I, I saw things this week. I thought, oh, that's hectic about suffering. We don't like to preach on suffering. But it's there. 1 Peter. Peter says it. I won't go there. So the disciples decide they've got to write it down. They write it down. God, you see, is never silent. He speaks through the word, but he speaks by the spirit. Now, here's the big problem. Churches have raced and run after the life of the spirit for experience, which is good. But you can't just have experience. You can't live on experiences. You've got to have a foundation, and the foundation is the word. And others have said, can't have experiences in the church. <laughs> Laughter. Can't be happy. Got to be holy. Because holy people are miserable. You know? Because you're not allowed to be excited about anything. It's, that's, that's how we see church. You know, people come in to, to traditional churches. No names. I've been in one. And then they sit and then they do this. I wonder what they're doing. What's that about? Quiet, shh, shh, church, church. Grahamstown, my hometown, has got a cathedral. It's called a city, Grahamstown, because it's got a cathedral. City of saints, I'll just remind you. 
that's true. It is, eh? Bridget, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a sign outside the cathedral. Silence. Church. No, that's true. That's, that's how the world sees the church. And the church has fallen into that trap that we've got to be so, no mistakes. You can make mistakes. I remember the first time I preached and I read my passage and I stumbled. I thought, here comes the lightning bolt, Jeffrey. It's sooner than you thought. You know, God's going to kill me because you can't make mistakes. Then, so it's just this. The word, there's no life. And God comes and says, now to combine the two. So we have, we've had good preachers. He preached well. You preached very well. I mean, Dimitri, I've got to follow Dimitri. Thanks a lot, brother. But the life, the life of God is the essential quality for a church. If we don't have the life of God, we're just having a meeting. Boring. Somehow trying to speak, trying his best, but we've got to have the life of God in it, okay? In, in, in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, sorry, with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was Jesus. Now all that Jesus did is in this Word. So when I read it and you read it, the Spirit comes and gives us revelation and helps us understand it. Before I got saved, I knew John chapter 11, verse 35. What's that say? You see, you don't know. <laughs> Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. I knew that. But I don't know why he cried. But I knew it. And I could recite Psalm 23 and Psalm 121, but I never knew what they meant. But I could recite it. I was a parrot Christian. And God doesn't want parrot Christians. He wants Christians who, people who understand the life of God. Amen? The disciples had him, so they began to, I'm way off my notes now. And I've spent 15 minutes on it. Help me, Lord. Okay. Because we haven't experienced Jesus in the flesh, doesn't mean we can't experience him now. Because he's alive. He's alive. I, during that song, all my life you have been faithful. I, I felt like I'm going to give you the mic, say, who can confess God has been faithful? God has been faithful. All my life. How long have you been saved, Sid? 42 years. Who else is? Who's been saved longer than that? Haman. Yeah, but you've been living forever. <laughs> when you go to Haman's house, you think, this, this guy's been around. How long have you been saved? No, I want to know how long you've been saved. Yeah, you are. 67 years he's known the Lord. Dave, Dave, you've got a grace bar key. How long have you been saved? 49 years. 
Has God been faithful? Now you see, here's the mistake we can make. Well, I've walked with God and I've done my best and I've... No, no, God's kept you. God's kept you. God's kept me. It's not we that... God's kept us. Because the Spirit of God has enlightened us. He's shown us things in the Word and you take it on board. And you own it. And when I own the Word, it's like a seed. I start reproducing. What do I reproduce? The life of God by the Spirit who, who, who helps me reproduce Jesus to people. Can you say amen? But the seed's got to die. And that's the difficult part. Imagine if you're a seed and you get planted in a pot. You get shoved into the ground, covered over, and the next thing you think, cheap as it's wet in here and dark. But you know, if I'm a seed, I know that that is going to help me germinate. It's going to help me produce, reproduce after my own kind. Amen? Okay. So I was thinking on these things. And then these verses highlighted to me. John 14, 15. If you love me, when the Bible says if, it's if. If you love me. Not everybody loves God. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then 1421, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now there's a key there. The first one says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Then it says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. Let's go to the next one. 14, 23, 24. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and, will come, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And then 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, here's the question. If in verse 24 it says you don't keep my commandments, then it proves you don't love me. I've never fished on the Zambezi, but I've been on the Zambezi. They called it a sunset cruise. It's a lie. It was a booze cruise that my late wife and I got on thinking it was a sunset cruise. And a lot of stuff was consumed. And we saw hippos and crocs and elephants. It was amazing. And we drifted down the Zambezi. And in the distance, you could hear the Victoria Falls. Very well, amazing. And the guy on the boat said this to us. The fishermen come here and they drift with the tide, with the flow of the river. And they drift and they drift. He's a Zimbabwean, Rhodesian, Zimbabwean now. And they drift. But there's a place that the fishermen know at specific times of the year when the river is strong. There's, they've got their back to the 
falls and they're drifting. And there's a place, either a couple of trees or something, whatever, that they've marked as fishermen. That when they get there, they must start the motors and get out of there. Because if I drift too far past that, the current is going to be too strong. And I'm going to drift over. So what Jesus is saying is, is if, you, if, you, if, you, if you don't obey me, you don't love me. And that means I'm drifting. Now I want to ask you, be careful of how far you drift. Because you get to that place where you start up and the thing's got not enough crack to get you where it should. And there's panic. And God, God wants us to put little markers in our lives all the time of how much he loves us, how much he's for us. Because we do drift. Don't look at me also religiously now and saying, you know, you might drift, we don't drift. We do. We neglect things. But this was the question that I felt God say to me, I must ask. Does love lead to obedience or does obedience lead to love? Deep. <laughs> this, this is deep. Does love lead to obedience or does obedience lead to love? I'm not asking you to answer, I'm asking you to think. The Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Believe, love, God loved. So I wasn't sure. I don't know. Because we don't like to be said, told, under the new covenant, you have to obey. Now, what are the commands of God? Well, let's go to 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Hallelujah. They are not burdensome. They don't weigh me down. I've got to go and find a goat and slug it and have the blood or no no his commandments are not burdensome what did Jesus sum up the law with two commands love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and those are the two so that's what he's talking about that's not burdensome sometimes it is difficult to love people You guys, you're so religious this morning. Sometimes I like people, but it's difficult to love them. But the Bible says I must love them. So what do I have to do? I have to ask the Spirit of God to give me revelation from the Word to help me understand how I do that. Because it's not in our nature just to love. love you, Brew. That's a cliche. Love you, my sister. What does that mean? It's just nice seeing you. 
Will you buy me a coffee now, Andre? <laughs> so, I came to this conclusion. His love motivates my obedience. The love of God motivates my obedience. And my obedience proves his love. That's mine. You can have it. It's free. I like that. His love motivates my obedience. When I understand how much he loves me, it's not my love for him. My love for him is weak and wishy-washy and floppy and all that stuff. But his love for me is solid and strong and secure and forever. And when I know that love, when I know that love, what do I want to do? I want to do what he asked me to do. And when I do what he's asked me to do, it proves that he loves me like that. You can get, I got phoned once, I've been in the ministry for, I don't know, many years now. I phoned once at two o'clock in the morning. Phone. Hello? Hello, sorry, were you sleeping? <laughs> yes. It's two o'clock in the morning. Pastors don't sleep. You just pray all the time. Did I love that person then? No. Because it woke me up. They said to me, look, the thing we spoke about two nights ago, yeah, I just want to say you were right. Two o'clock in the morning. What is that? I mean, can you be so dumb and still breathe? Two o'clock in the morning, are you awake? No, now I'm sleeping. I'm dreaming of angels and things. And you've disrupted my dream. Now the devil's taken. How dare you phone me at this time? No. But the old man wants to say things. But love, the love of God, the love of God, his love, his love motivates my obedience. I can't do things just because I think they'll be good. I do things because I know he loves me eternally. He's put my feet on a rock. The rock's name is Jesus. You know the wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember the song, the wise man? Uh, and all that. The foolish man built. Where have you built? Where have you built? Some of your additions to the building might not have the best foundations because you might not have heard clearly what God has been saying to you. So, he will take from what is mine, Jesus said, and make it known to you. Jesus thinks of everything. But, I'm, I'm done now, half an hour. I've got more, but I won't go there. No, no, no. It sounds nice, but you know, people are saying enough is enough. I can see it on their faces. <laughs> you know, when you puff your cheeks up and your neck thickens, that means you're yawning, but you haven't opened your mouth. <laughs> and, and every yawn is a silent scream. Finish, please. <laughs> I'll end with this. 
Naturally, I have no desire for God. In my own being, I have no desire for God. And I have no power to fulfill the call of God in my life. And by the way, neither do you. Just in case you thought, you know, I'm being very honest now and you saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you too. There is no natural desire in us for God. The Spirit of God even gives us the desire that we need to love Jesus. I mean, it's incredible. You think of, he's thought of everything. And, hmm, he gives us the desire to, to be like him. Then he doesn't say, okay, there's the desire. See how well you can do. I can't do it. I can't do it. But he also gives me the power to fulfill the desire that he gives me for his son. <laughs> and then we still wonder about things in the Christian life. God, he has given us, the Bible says, where's this? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Found in? The Bible. <laughs> of course it's in the Bible. Where in the Bible? You know, you remember, you remember the name Trevor Goddard? Who remembers that name? He's a Springbok cricketer. Trevor Goddard came and speak at a camp once, donkeys years ago, when I was still in Port Elizabeth. And we'd say, the Bible says, I'm not interested, chapter and verse. And we'd all go and look. And it helped the young people to find where it is. They don't get tell me the Bible. It's 1 Peter. God has given us 1 Peter 1. Everything we need. Now, what's the everything? It says God has given. He's given us, he's given us Jesus. And he's given us the spirit of Jesus to help us. So desire comes from God to my heart. Have you had those desires sometimes? Oh, Lord. I'll finish with a testimony. I was just newly saved. We had a church camp and we had a prayer tent. I might have told you the story. Prayer tent. And um, I was on lunch duty. I mean, I had to peel. Um, what are those? Yeah, potatoes. What are those things that look like pumpkins, but they're not? Butternuts. Butternuts. Have you, have you peeled a butternut? No, no, that's a shocker. But this is what happened. I saw the pastor go into the prayer tent. I thought, my moment. Moses has gone in. I'm Joshua. <laughs> and it was the first time in my life that I encountered God in prayer. Yeah. He was a, he's still alive. Please, Mervyn, if you listen to this, God bless you. But it was just him and me. But I went in for an ulterior motive. I wanted people to see he's with the pastor. Very important in a traditional church. He's praying with the pastor. The desire wasn't genuinely to go and pray. The desire was to be with the pastor. So people could say, mm, you've been with the pastor. Eh? And when I entered that little tent, the desire hit me. And I met with God. And then the bell rang for lunch. And I wanted to say, 
No, no, shut up, no. I've got to go and pew butternuts. I, I felt like saying, I'm not going to move because I'm meeting with God. But that was my first encounter. And God gave me the desire. My motives were mixed, very mixed. But God knew I needed something. And then he gave me the power to follow through what he put in my heart. That's what the Spirit of God does for us. He's thought of everything. Coming up now, it's holidays. You know, holidays, as my kids used to say. And this is when we get a bit, like we say in Afrikaans, subiki slap. You know. I'm not going to work, lie in a bit. I don't read, I don't pray. Folks, we, we must maintain our disciplines. And we must ask God to give us the desires. The desires. To have him love us so we can be obedient. Amen? Now, maybe there are people, gee, I've gone so far from what I wanted to do, but anyway, it's done now. You feel, gee, I need, I need a bit of a, a charge. Let's be crude. You need a cracker to shake you up a bit, awaken you. I want more desire for God. Just. I've drifted a little bit. Because we do drift. The fish are biting. <laughs> but I've drifted. I'm in trouble. Or you just, you've just got neglectful. And you just feel, you know what? I want God to touch me. I want the Holy Spirit to awaken me again. Because that's what he does. He comes to us. And gives us an experience of who he is. And what does he do? He makes Jesus very real. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son. And the Bible says, and he died for us while we were still sinners. He demonstrated, Jesus demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Now let me say this to you. If he demonstrated his love to you when you were a sinner, I was a sinner too. Yeah, can you believe it? Amazing. <laughs> and his love was poured out for me as a sinner. How much more will his love not be poured out for me as his son? 